Would you please stand? This morning we have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to come before our Father in heaven and praise his name and lift him up through song. To the cross I look, to the cross I cling, of its suffering I do drink, of its work I do sing, for on it my Savior, both Welcome to Southfield. It's good to be here worshiping with you today. Um, This morning, we're back to 1 Corinthians. Have you missed it? 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, we've had some great, great guest speakers up here just sharing some great ideas, great thoughts, great applications to our lives. I don't know how many of you were asking your, your, or asking God every morning last week, Hey God, what can I do for you today? Or what do you want me to do for you? Um, but this morning we're, we're back to first Corinthians with Dennis. And, uh, so he's going to be sharing a message with us, but we're going to continue in worship through song. And I just, I think you've all noticed if you've been a follower of God for any time at all, you've known that there's no guarantee that when you follow God, that your life is going to be problem free. Amen. There are going to be battles. There are going to be fires. There are going to be all these things within your life that it's not, it's not an easy road. It's not an easy, easy way to go. We know that there's no guarantee that our life is going to be great, but there is a guarantee that God is going to be faithful and that his love is always going to be there for us and that he's always worthy of that praise, no matter what we're going through. So let's sing. This is my prayer in the desert When all that's within me feels dry This is my prayer in my hunger and need My God is the God who provides This is my prayer in the fire In weakness or trial or pain Sing. 
Father, we thank you for being faithful to us and for staying with us and for not moving. God, we thank you for the battles. We thank you for the fire. Lord, we thank you for the harvest, God. But Lord, we thank you most of all for your love and for being with us through each one of those seasons in our life. And we know, Lord, that you are worthy of praise no matter what we're going through. And so we worship you this morning, Father. Let our lives be a living sacrifice of praise for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's good to see you today. We are going to get back into and finish up the series we've been working through for about half a year on 1 Corinthians. Before we do that, we want to welcome you today. Glad you're here. As you walked in, you received a folder. On the inside, you'll always find a card. And we'd like you to do a couple things with that. First of all, just go ahead and put your name on that. And lately, we've been just trying to update and make sure we have the absolutely most recent email address for you. I know for some of you, your email shifts or or you use more than one. And so if, if you would give us the email that's most effective for contacting you, that's really helpful. On the back side, there's a small box. And in that small box, there's some things you can do. Like if you've not yet indicated that you'd like to get baptized uh, at the coming outdoor service, you can check that off. There's also a place to check off if you'd like to get involved in setup and teardown. We're uh, hoping to have that building up sometime next fall. So this is the last year. This is the home stretch. And what would be very, yeah, I know. Whoa. Believe me, if you were here for setup this morning, you're wooing. So, um, what we'd like to do, I know for some of you set up, you know, it's not possible for you to sign on for time and eternity, but, but it might be possible for you to say, you know what, there are a couple months a year that are really good for me on the setup side or on the teardown side. And if you'd want to indicate, Hey, you know, like for October and November, I could help you out. That would be really helpful. We're just trying to make sure that that, that team is, is filled and doing well as we run uh, toward, the, toward the finish line of setting up and tearing down. Okay, this may sound strange to you, but um, I'm thankful. I am thankful for rulers, for yardsticks, and for tape measures. I'm so glad that we have these things. For all of my Pinteresting friends out there, I found this. I thought this was pretty cool. Is the thing in the thing? There it is. It's a table with uh, rulers and yardsticks as the top. Now, this, this gives you plenty of time before Christmas. For the dude in your life, here's that ideal coffee table, and you can get Pinterest in your life away. Really cool idea for a dude, I'm telling you. As we move into a season of, of building, I am so glad that there's such a thing as ruler. 
I'm grateful that someone back in the day realized that if we were going to do any project together, if we were going to build something with more than one person, in reality, if we were going to survive as a species, we needed a set of common standards. We needed to be able to say, this is an inch, this is a foot, this is a yard, this is a mile. I mean, can you imagine the next year or ne- next fall as they start working on this building, having five carpenters show up with five different self-designed rulers? You know, they like them. They, they decided what their inch is. And, and you know what? It wouldn't take a lot. It could be off by just a hair. And just that hair would really create quite a disaster. I appreciate rulers for several reasons. They're, they're precise they're consistent, they're invariable and unchanging. But, but here's the main reason. They're the standard. A ruler is the standard. An inch is the standard. A foot is the standard. If you want to measure something, you know, uh, today I might use my own foot. It's about 12 inches, but it's not exactly 12 inches. Or I might use the span of my hand. It's about nine and a half inches, but not exactly nine and a half. If I want to measure something and have it precise, I need to pull out my tape measure and make sure I go ahead and check it to make sure that it's exact. This book, this book serves in the same way. The Bible is a ruler. It is the standard by which we measure our lives. As you go through your day, uh, you find that the Bible is important for you to have as a standard on all things. I mean, I can have opinions. I can have opinions on, on morality or actions or attitudes. But my, my opinion is about as worthless as using my foot to measure. It gets me roughly in the area, but I need something that's precise and exact that helps me to know what is right and what is wrong. Now, I'm not saying anything new here. In fact, I've even used this example before. Although I've got to admit, more and more I feel like I'm John the Baptist screaming in the wilderness about it. Because more and more people believe that their emotions, their feelings, their opinions, and their experiences are the way to measure right and wrong. And I've got to tell you, they are lousy measuring sticks. They just don't work very well. They're not consistent. They vary from person to person. They change. They're relative rather than reliable. We need a reliable standard for knowing right and wrong, for knowing black and white. Some chapters of the Bible, by their very nature, feel like a moral ruler. I mean, it's almost as if you've gone to your tool bag and you've pulled out your ruler and there it is. And with precision, it tells you exactly what you need to know. It's either right or wrong. There's no gray. There's no room for quibbling. There are these chapters that we pull out and we're able to measure our actions and measure our attitudes and know uh, what they are like because we have this consistent standard. That's the case with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is the definitive measurement of true love. It's the, it's the measurement. This is the chapter you go to if you want to know whether or not you truly love someone or whether or not they love you. You know, see, I, I say I love you to my, life, my wife. And she might ask, what do you mean by that? Or if someone says to me, I love you, I, I, I kind of wonder, so, so what are you saying? We might even flip it. If someone were to say, I don't love you, or I don't love you anymore, what are they saying to us? You know, the truth is, more often than not, when they say that, 
Their expression is an expression of an emotion. It's an expression of a feeling. The person is saying, my feelings for you are not the same as they used to be. Something is different. Something died. And, and i got to be honest with you. When I hear that line, I feel like it's a little bit of a cop-out. It's almost as if the person passively, I don't know what happened. My feelings just kind of went away. Somewhere along the way, boom, they were gone. I don't know what to do about that anymore. The person is relinquishing responsibility for the revision of the relationship. They're kind of acting as if somehow everything just formed against them. What what can they do? They used to feel something. Now they don't. Feelings change. They might even use the line, I've fallen out of love. I've just fallen out of love. Or someone is all gooey and they say, I've fallen in love. Here's the thing you got to understand. We don't fall in love and we don't fall out of love. We fall in ditches. We don't fall in love. We don't fall out of love. It doesn't work that way. Love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. It's a choice. Love is not an emotion. It's an action. Sadly, for a lot of people, they mistake love with infatuation. Those are two very different things. By the way, infatuation can happen in any relationship. Not just a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship or a potential sexual relationship. Any relationship involves a level of infatuation. Friendship at any level goes through an infatuation stage, a stage where you enjoy each other, where that person makes you feel good, where you feel good about them, where you feel like they can do no wrong. They're just perfect. You even go through an infatuation stage with a new church. People will come to us or they'll come to another church and they'll be like, oh man, I love this church. I've never been to a church like this. This It's so great. Everybody's so wonderful. And Dennis, Dennis, you're perfect. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Give it a week. Actually, truth be told, survey says give it about two years. Infatuation is always tied to comparison. You know, when we're infatuated, it's always, I love you more than the boyfriend or girlfriend I just got rid of. I love you more than my former spouse. I love you more than my old church. I love you more than my old pastor. That's where infatuation comes from. It's all about a feeling. We got to be careful about allowing our feelings to rule our life. So, In marriage, after seven years, a spouse says, I don't love you anymore. What they're really saying is, my infatuation has died. My infatuation has died. Infatuation is temporary. Love is permanent. Infatuation is a feeling. Love is a decision. Infatuation is dangerous. It's dangerous. But love is vital for human existence. We need love and we need to be loved. Now, So what we're going to do today is we're pulling out this ruler... We're pulling out 1 Corinthians 13. And today is going to be intensely practical. If you've ever said, I love you to someone, I want you to today to use this chapter as the standard of whether or not you truly do love them. Think it through. Uh, some of you may know this. There, there are four Greek words for love. The first one is sorge. That one refers to just an, an affection or regard. This is, this is the word in Greek that was often used for the love family has for family. You know, not, not, it's the kind of love that you have strong affection. You want to give them a hug. That's sorge. Then comes eros. Eros love is physical love, uh, sexual love. In there you hear the word erotic. Erotic love is there. Then we have philia. Philia is friendship love. I'm your friend, you're my friend, we, we share philia. 
And, and the thing that's true of that particular kind of love, it's based on loyalty. I'm loyal to you. You're loyal to me. And then comes this final one, agape. Agape love is unconditional. It's a spiritual kind of love. And if I could define it in one word, or not two words, hyphenated, it's a self-sacrificing love. It's the kind of love that I give myself for you. I'd be glad to die for you because I have agape for you. Uh, Sorge, Eros, Philia, they don't die for someone. But agape is willing to give its life for another person. The love of 1 Corinthians 13 is agape love. And Paul lays out several words to define that love. They are going to serve today as our tape measure. So I want you to think about a relationship right now, a relationship in which you've had the tendency to say, I love you. Maybe your spouse, your child, your parent, a friend, your TV, whatever. A relationship in which you've been prone to say, I love you. Uh, As you think about that, like a building inspector, I want you to walk around the job site and I want you to just start doing some measuring. Some measuring of your love and figuring out how it goes. Uh, You may want to use a couple different scales to grade yourself. Maybe one to five. One being low, five being high. Maybe because we're about to enter into school, uh, A, B, C, D, and F makes sense to you. Whatever. But I'd like you to go ahead and, and give yourself a letter grade or give yourself a number in each of these areas. So you had your folder. You already took it out. Open that. And on the inside, you will see in the notes area a whole list of the words that we're going to be looking at today. And you can literally go along this morning, and if you feel strongly about a grade that you could give, you go ahead and write it down right now and start thinking through how this works. Measure your love. So what we're going to do is start with what I think is the toughest one. Love is patient. Love is patient. The word for patience, just like the word for love, has many different Greek words used for it. I mean, it's one of the things that's cool about foreign languages. They don't always necessarily use one word the way we do for a term. So there are many different words used for this. And interestingly, the word that Paul chooses actually has the word anger embedded in the word for patience. The word anger is embedded in there. This particular term carries with it a degree of passivity or an element of, of resignation. Most of us think of being passive and resigned as bad. We we don't think of that as being a good thing. In fact, when we mash those two words together, passive resignation, uh, you know, that's not the kind of person I want to hire. That's not the kind of person I want to... I don't want somebody involved in my life that, that goes through life with passive resignation. Are you kidding me? It's not a term we use with admiration. However, in this case, passivity and resignation are actually a virtue to be admired and to be pursued. It describes a form of very admirable endurance. This kind of patience is an unwavering willingness to await events rather than trying to force them. Hear it again. It's an unwilling waver. It's being unwilling to waver in terms of trying to force something to change. A person of loving patience waits rather than forcing a fix. They're not always trying to make the other person into something they'd like to see them be. It's the kind of patience that's expressed in the opening lines of the serenity prayer. Give me the peace of mind. Give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Some of us in life still think we can change everything. 
especially if we have a perfectionist bent. We believe that everything can be fixed, but there are things in life that cannot be changed. We can fight, we can resist, we can power up, we can use rage, we can use anger, and all forms of emotional manipulation. But it's just not going to change. As it pertains to people, some things are never going to change. They're always going to be that way. I'll give you an example from this past week. So I grew up in this family where... um, In our refrigerator, you determined whether or not something should go in the garbage by color and smell. Okay? If if it started growing red and green things, it was probably not edible, though you could probably cut that off. If it smelled or slimy, slimy was usually a sign we should probably get rid of this. Kim's family, expiration date is king. They they believe that that, that that date on there means something. So this week, I go into the lunch meat drawer to get some turkey. I just bought it last week. Pound of turkey sitting there waiting to be eaten. I open the drawer, and it's gone. And I'm like, I know what happened here. I know this routine. I've been here before. And so I called her because she's out. And I'm like, where's the turkey? Oh, that turkey was two weeks old. No, it wasn't. I bought it last week. Well, it was expired. I'm like... Did it smell good? Did it have color? Was it slimy? These are the standards by which we measure whether or not lunch meat has gone bad. Are you kidding me? Nobody's coming to my house to eat anymore, are you? It was was just, I got to admit, you know, it, it was kind of a frustrating moment because I'm like, we've been together since 1985 and she still doesn't get it. Leave my turkey alone. Now... For every one of those that I put up with in Kim, she puts up with 15 in return, I promise you. Things that she's just finally come to a point of saying, it is what it is and it ain't going to change. Now, some of you hear that. You hear that and you go, wait a second. As Christians, I thought we were supposed to be challenging each other to love and good deeds. I thought we were supposed... It never looks like this, of course. You idiot. Come on. What's wrong with you? But, you know, I thought we were supposed to be challenging each other and helping each other to be again. Hear these words again. Patience expresses an unswerving willingness to wait, await events rather than trying to force them. Many of our relationships are broken because we try to force change. We're imposing our agenda. I mean, who's right on this thing of the lunch meat? Is there a right or, well, hers is probably better. I'll admit that. But anyway, is there a right or wrong on a lot of things? No, it comes down to I want to impose my will on her. She wants to impose her will on me. And the result is often a cracked friendship or a fragmented marriage. Patience sense, I'm willing to wait for change, even if the change never happens. That's love. Even if the change never happens, I'm still in. I'm still all for you. That's tough. That's tough. I will not use my anger or any other manipulative tool in order to try to force my agenda to get my way. Love is patient. That's the first one. Give me the peace of mind. To accept with grace what I am not able to change in the person I love. The second one, love is kind. It's kind. Kindness is a close friend of patience. Synonyms for kindness include gentle, caring, and supportive. 
kindness, I must admit, it's a lost virtue in American society. Kindness is seen as weakness. Instead of being kind, we use words that are cutting. Instead of being gentle, we use actions that are gruff. Instead of being caring, we're cruel and not at all careful with the other person. We lack kindness. But Bible says, God says, love is kind. Why is kindness so important? Well, here's the bottom line of it all. Every person, every human being is a valuable treasure created in the image of God. And every person needs to know there's at least one other person in the world, one other person in the world with whom they are completely safe. They're safe emotionally. They're safe spiritually. They're safe physically. They're safe in every possible way. That's kindness being expressed to me and kindness expressed to the other person. Shelley's not here today, so I can say this. Of all the characteristics I look for when she brings a guy home that she's dating, I look for how he treats her in terms of kindness. Kindness is huge. You know, are there a lot of coarse jokes and just mean comments being thrown her way? Or is she being treated like a treasure? Because I'll tell you what, I held her for the first moments of her life on February 13, 1992. And she was a valuable treasure then, and she remains a valuable treasure for me. I would die for her. I would never intentionally hurt her. And that dude had better act the same way with my valuable treasure. It helps when all of us look at another person as, at one point, that was someone's little boy. That was someone's little girl. And we treat them as a valuable treasure. I own very few physical, um, material treasures. Probably the closest I come is to some of my tech stuff. If I were to hand you my computer today, I would hope that you'd grip it tightly. And kind of, oh, what happened? I would hope you wouldn't touch the keys with gooey fingers. And I would hope that when the pinwheel of death starts doing its thing, you wouldn't try to make it work. I would hope you'd treat it with gentleness because it is valuable. I would hope you'd treat my daughter with gentleness because she is valuable. And if you don't treat my daughter with gentleness, if you abuse her, you better sleep with one eye open. (laughs) Treat her kindly. Treat your wife with kindness. Treat your child with kindness. Treat your husband with kindness. Treat your friends with kindness. As the school year gets going, you know how it works. You know how friendships form a lot of time? By who we agree we don't like. By who we agree we're going to pick on mercilessly all year long. We have the opportunity to express some love by being kind instead of feasting on someone else. Treat a person like a treasure, not like a piece of trash. Jokes at another person's expense... That's not kind. It's just not kind. People need to be treated like with kindness. They're a treasure made in the image of God. Love is willing to wait for change, even if change never comes. And love cares. It treats the other person like they're valuable. How about the next one? Love does not envy. Another translation says, love is not jealous. Now, I think this one gets misunderstood a little bit. Look at this verse from the Old Testament, from Exodus. It says, You must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Did you know one of the names of God is Jealous? It would be okay for you to pray today, Dear Jealous. Kind of like, that's weird. Are you kidding me, really? A name of God? I mean, I thought we were never supposed to be jealous. And you're telling me one of God's names is Jealous? Jealous? 
That, that just seems strange. Here, here's where this thing gets misinterpreted sometimes. Some people believe that if they're not to be jealous, then that means it's okay to tolerate flirting and running around. I'm not supposed to be jealous. So it's okay if the person runs around on me. It's okay if the person flirts on me. Not at all. Not at all. That's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible says, if we're married, I'm yours, you're mine, and that's it. No one tears that asunder. Never read this as a command to go light on a wandering eye or a cheating heart. I think the word envy works so much better. I really love you and want what is better for you than for me. I want the best for you. In fact, when you get the best, I get the best. And so I'm doing everything I can to live for you. Do you hear the sacrifice in there? That's agape. That's true love. True love is never jealous of what another person has or another person does. True love celebrates for the other person and recognizes when that person gets what's best for them, that's best for me as well. And so we're always living for the other person. The next word, Paul says, love, oops, sorry. Love, love does not boast or love is not proud. I'm actually going to take both of those and deal with them together. Love and arrogance don't mix. I can't be a bragger and a true lover at the same time. The opposite of bragging and arrogance, of pride and boastfulness, what's the opposite of that? It's humility. Humility. True love is humble. At its core, it's humble. If Paul were saying this in a positive way, he'd say, true love always expresses humility. Humility is a cornerstone virtue of the Christian faith. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself to become a human, and then he humbled himself again to be obedient to death, even death on a cross. True love is humble. I am, I'm not certain that, that true love can exist where humility is absent. The two go together. At the heart of love is selflessness. I'm living for you. I'm not living for me. I'm living for someone else. I care about more about you than me. I'll prop you up, not me. I'm happy for you, not me. Pride is a love killer. If my love is going to grow, then my humility has got to go deeper as well. Let's go to the next one. Love is not rude. Another translation says, love does not act with dishonor. It treats people honorably. What we see is that uh, each of these virtues, as we're starting to work through them, they're not all necessarily unique. There's a little bit of overlap between them. One builds on another. Paul already told us that we're supposed to be kind. And now he sets out the opposite of a lack of kindness. He says, be kind and don't be rude. Don't be rude with people. To be rude is to treat another person with dishonor. It's to act indecently or improperly with them. Rudeness is treating the one you say you love as if they have little value to you or anyone else or no value at all. Rudeness, many times in a relationship, takes on the form of name-calling, insults, demeaning comments, and condescending glances. Just kind of look down at the other person with just enough contempt. It's a rude look. 
But a true lover acts with kindness and gentleness. He or she does not demean the other person or embarrass and humiliate the other person. They don't treat them with rudeness or with dishonor. The next term says love does not demand its own way or love is not self-seeking. Love isn't always looking out for its own. By, by its very definition, agape is self-sacrificing. It's not logically possible to be self-sacrificing and self-seeking at the same time. You can't do both. You either need to seek what you want for yourself or you need to sacrifice for someone else. But you can't hold both in the same hand. Now again, here we see some parallel with envy. Envy wants what the other person has. Self-seeking looks to make sure that he or she gets their own, that they get what they want. Uh, This is a a sick and sad excuse for love, to be a self-seeker, to use someone else. Y'all know I love fishing. I enjoy it. I probably enjoy it mostly because it's quiet. I don't always catch stuff, but but I like to go fishing. So not too long ago, we're in Montana for two weeks. And I had a lot of people ask, you must have done a lot of fishing. I went fishing one day. In fact, half a day. And that was it. You're like, well, what's wrong with you? You love fishing. Why didn't you go? Because I was with four other people who do not necessarily want to fish all day. And I love them. And I care for them. In fact, I did things that I didn't want to do. Because I love them and I care for them. And you know one of the patterns I see in a lot of new marriages, and sometimes it it hangs on just a little bit too long? A person wants their spouse and their hobby. They want to keep them both intact and think that's going to work okay. And usually the pressure comes when a baby's added and another baby's added. And they're still trying to hold on to their hobby instead of realizing, if I'm going to love you, there's something I need to give up. I've got to stop seeking mine, and I've got to start seeking what is best for you. Love does not demand its own way. But far too often we say we love someone, we say we love someone, now here are the conditions. That's self-seeking. That's not love. Next word. Love is not easily angered, or it's not irritable. Now this term runs parallel with the word patience, okay? Now here's the fact. We all get irritable. We all get cranky. Everybody does. Everyone has a bad day. It may be that you're tired. It may be that you're out of sorts. It may be that every card in the deck has been stacked against you lately. Whatever, uh, you, you just, we have bad times. And of course, we need to work on that. But we also need to recognize it's part of human wiring. And some of us have a few more of those wires than others. You know, we have bad days. Easily angered is different. Easily angered is when we live to be ticked off. You're just looking to be mad. It's when we hunt for reasons to be frustrated, when we explode because we have very little self-control. Okay, so back to the lunch meet. So I called Kim, and I used no anger. None at all. I was kind. No, my tone was right. But what did I say, basically, toward the end of the conversation? Hmm. That's a lot of money down the drain. Click. That is mean. That was just mean. And you know what? After I hung it up, I knew it was mean. 
I was like, why did I say that? That was, that, was, that was absolutely unnecessary. You see, the more you move along in marriage, you realize you can do mean things without looking or sounding mean, right? You can say something that's well-planted that you know is going to go, eh, eh. and you know how I knew it worked? I felt really bad about this turkey thing. And so I made Kim granola. Now, that sounds weird. You're like, what is wrong with your family? <laughs> I haven't made this stuff since we lived in Florida. The other day she said, I'd really like this granola. And so I went and found the recipe. I went very early in the morning, got all the ingredients, and, and got it all together and made it so that when she came down, granola was there. She was like, wow, that's really cool. Thanks. Later that night, it has to sit out all day. Later that night, she's putting it in the bag. And I'm sitting in the chair in the family room. And I turned my head and looked. And she said, what, am I doing something wrong? And I went, ugh. The turkey. I didn't say it meanly. I didn't say it loudly. I didn't scream, but the message got across. You did it wrong. You did it wrong. And now what does that person do? They live wondering if everything they do is wrong. If everything they, the, the turkey thing is settled in our family. Okay, don't worry. I'll be here next week and so will Kim. We're fine. But... I wish I, could, I wish I could just explain to you, especially if you're a person who's a rager, how incredibly damaging that is to relationships. How in time, your entire family changes the way they work with you, the whole dynamic. In fact, a lot of times, families will take on sinful patterns to deal with rage. Uh, they'll all start lying to the person who screams. Why? They've just got to keep the peace. They try to find any tool they can to just tamp down the anger. True love is not easily angered. It doesn't get irritated. It doesn't look for reasons to be ticked off. True love curbs the temper. Here's the next one. True love keeps no records of being wronged. If you love, you're going to be hurt And you're going to do some hurting. I'm just telling you. Every person in this room who has ever put their heart out there and said, I want to love somebody, has had it stomped on. And you've done some stomping as well. If you're going to love, you're going to be hurt, and you're going to do some hurting. Love breaks down when we keep a list of offenses in our heart. It breaks down when we allow these unresolved hurts to grow in our hearts, when they're left unaddressed, when they're planted deeply in the seed of our soul. In time, they fester and morph and grow into bitterness. And unfortunately, by that time, for most people, reconciliation becomes undesirable and undeliverable. They just don't want to fix it anymore because they've thought about the list for a year. And now they've decided you're evil or you've decided they're evil and we just cross them off the list. Scorekeepers have a hard time loving deeply. You know why? Because every human you've ever known is going to let you down. They're going to fail you. Every one. They will disappoint you. They're going to let you down. They're going to hurt you. Scorekeepers also have a really hard time with long-term relationships. Friendships start out really strong and really quick, but they die just as fast. Scorekeepers stay at churches for three years or less. They seldom stay in a marriage for more than a decade. 
They're always hurt by someone. And that hurt causes them to just cross them off the list. And before you know it, they have a long list of people that they've crossed off. The truth is, we're sinful humans. We're going to be hurt and we're going to do some hurting. It's the way it works. True love keeps no records of being wronged. You know, humans are like porcupines trying to dance. It's inevitable in time. One of them's going to get hurt. I mean, it's just, it's, the closer we get, someone's going to get hurt. This needs more development, but we need to move on. How about the next one? True love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. What's that saying? What, what's Paul trying to say there? Well, this goes w- along with scorekeeping. What does the scorekeeper want? Well, they want the score to be even. Uh, for that matter, they want advantage them, right? They, they want one extra point on their side of the sheet. What they want is to see the wrongdoer punished. In fact, they do a little dance inside when they hear that someone they've scratched off their list is going through a rough patch. Yay, justice. They, they feel that. True love never, ever, ever smiles in the face of someone else's calamity. It doesn't gloat over the misfortune of others. Only one who truly loves never, ever takes pleasure in someone else's misfortune. Another way to say it, true love doesn't delight in revenge. True love doesn't doesn't seek revenge. Now, Paul ends this whole section, verses 4 to 7, and the beginning of 8 with these powerful statements. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Uh, The New Living Translation puts it this way. Love never gives up never loses faith. It's always helpful. It endures through every circumstances. And he wraps it up by saying love never fails. This kind of love never fails. Wish we had a lot more time with this. There are way too many points in this sermon. And honestly, it's, it's, it's a series of its own. In these four terms, protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres always, I hear these words, these promises, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, to honor and cherish till death do us part. That kind of love never, ever fails. So I want to talk through some applications. Here's the ruler. You see it on the screen. You have it on your paper. There's the ruler. And so now what do we do? We take out the ruler and we ask ourselves, how do we measure up? I, when I say I love you to someone, does it look like what's you've, what we see on the screen? I've got some actions for you to think through. The first one is this. Maybe you didn't have the time to do it right now and you need more time for contemplation. But take that list home with you and go through. And like I said, score it, grade it. How are you doing in each of those areas? Here's what I promise you. There are a few of them that you're going to go, ah, I got nothing. You know, it's just, maybe you're not a revengeful person and you just go, ah, that's not the way I'm wired. No big deal. Uh, there's some other area. Maybe you are the, the most sweetly spoken person in the world and you, don't even, you can't even comprehend kind because you're the epitome of kind, whatever. So there are going to be a few that don't register for you. And there are going to be a couple that are going to look you in the face and say, that's you. That's you. You see that? This one, this one, this is the area that we got some trouble. So go through and kind of score it. Now it's time to get really gutsy. Take the scorecard and hand it to the person that you say I love you to and say, 
How am I doing? Oh, by the way, if yours, one of yours is easily angered, uh, really work hard all week long <laughs> to not react or respond and just say, thank you. Okay? Uh, do you have the guts to ask the other person, this is how I think I'm doing. How do you think I'm doing? You might, you might word it this way. I want to love you well. In what area am I strongest in loving you? And what area could I use some work? I want to love you well. In what area am I doing a good job and you feel incredibly affirmed? And what area am I just really missing the mark? And then be open to it and then start working on it between now and Christmas. That one thing. It can't do all 14. You'll, you'll go nuts. Grab the one and work on the one. Maybe you'll find someone outside of that I love you person that can work on it with you, that can help you with some tools. You know someone in life that is more gentle than you are, and they could help you with some of it. I think that was my phone, sorry. But anyway, um, someone that can help you along the way. But work on this, really work on this, because when it comes down to it, of all the things, what, is, what does the Bible say? They'll know we are Christians by the way we love. They'll know we are Christians by the way we handle our marriages. They'll know we are Christians by the way we act toward our children. They'll know we are Christians by the way we treat the person we call friend. And we're supposed to be living up to what we see right there on the screen. Let's talk to God. I'm grateful to you, God, that your love is perfect. We never have to question whether you're going to get it right. You do not get easily angered. In fact, it says, the Bible says you are gracious and compassionate, slow and rich in love. We know we can always turn to you for true love. We know we can also turn to you and your spirit to help us be more loving. I pray that today might be a day that that opened our eyes to one or two areas that we do not love well. And, And we need to get to work on that with the power of your spirit. I pray that we might have also seen one or two areas that we're able to say, the smile of God is upon me in that area. I'm getting it right, and it feels good to get it right. Help us to be great lovers. In Jesus' name, amen. And so now we get to participate in one of the greatest acts of love uh, ever conveyed to human beings. The death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, so that his death, burial, and resurrection, his blood could do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We could not take away our own sin. We could not save ourselves. Only Jesus could do that through his death, burial, and resurrection. And weekly, we get to the chance to celebrate that by receiving a piece of bread and a cup. And so I want to encourage you during this time of communion, if you can, you want to take that list, put it on your lap. Put it on your lap and allow this time of quiet to to just think through, where am I in loving God? We're also going to be singing and listening to a song that reinforces the message of communion. So uh, when communion comes, just go ahead and take it. You know, for a while we've been doing this where we, where we hold on to the cup till the end. We love being able to do that. But, but be honest, we've had, a, we've had some times that people in the process of holding on to the cup uh, have had a problem with a spill or whatever. So if you want to hold the cup, great. If you want to drink the cup right away, great. Just make this a meaningful time of worship between you and God.
love Jesus you showed us self-sacrificing love and now you give us the chance to show that to others help us to never be people who use people take advantage of people power up on people do anything that is truly unloving and God when we have those unloving moments help us always to run to the cross to come to ask for your forgiveness and forgiveness of the person uh, whom we, whom we have not loved well. In Jesus' name, amen. Our servers are coming again, and, and we'll receive the offering now. You can go ahead and put your card in there, uh, as well as your offering. And, and as we do, uh, a couple of things I want to share with you. First of all, I, just, I, I know we have like, you know, it's, it's going to be a year, better than a year, 
before we're going to be sitting in that new building. So um, progress sometimes is going to feel a little bit slow. You're kind of waiting, wondering when's dirt going to move, all those sorts of things. But when, I, when we have something that's happened, I want to be able to share with you so that you're, you're part of kind of this celebration and the progress and all that sort of thing. So this past Thursday... Uh, we spent some time over at the Village Hall meeting with some of the administrators there, uh, along with the, the company that's doing the design work in the building for us. And we had a very, very encouraging uh, meeting with village administrators. They were very impressed with the plans, very impressed with the progress so far. Uh, everything got, got lots of smiles and lots of thumbs up. So that was, that was really good news. We'll be going, I think it's uh, in the second week of September, We'll be going to the zoning meeting for some talk there and then to the village board for some preliminary, for some prelim, preliminary work to be done there. But everything at this point is rolling along pretty well. Sometime this week, if you drive by at just the right time, you should see a machine out there drilling holes into the ground to find out if we have dirt. And you might see someone else out there uh, surveying and just seeing what's going on in terms of where things would lay on our land and all that sort of stuff. But we're in this time right now of, of basically working on permits, and that goes as, as slow as the government. I mean, as, as quickly as the government. So um, I really didn't need to say that. Wow. I, I, I was, no, I really didn't. I'm trying to be nice. This is going out into the air. So anyway, um, so good news. So far, so far. It's moving along, and, and we're really excited about that. If you've not had a, a chance yet to go over and sit in the chairs and pray, I'd encourage you to do that, especially before noisy machines move in and start shifting dirt all over the place. Make sure you take the time to read all the stuff that's on the front of your folder today. Important announcements for you. Dates of things that are coming up. Uh, journey groups are going to be getting cranking here pretty soon, believe it or not. Yep, fall is almost here. So are you ready to go? Yeah, you are. All right, let's stand. We're going to sing and close. Let your glory fall as you respond to us. Spirit, rain, flood into our thirsty hearts again. You'll come, you'll come. We are not taken, we are not
week and we'll see you next Sunday.